This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us again. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Now, when we hear that particular passage of Scripture, we often focus on the persecution part. But what about the reward part? In fact, the Bible does address the subject of believers being rewarded. You think, for example, of 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. What should the knowledge of eternity do to change our Christian lives in the present with this in mind? We're going to talk about it today with Mark Hitchcock, who is senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He's written more than 30 books related to Bible prophecy and served in his, as an associate professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And his latest is called Heavenly Rewards, Living with Eternity in Sight. Mark, it is just wonderful to have you here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Well, it's great to have you here. And I love this subject. I can't think of anybody addressing this in a long time in a specific way. This is a great thing to talk about. I'm wondering what precipitated this book. Why address the subject of heavenly rewards? Well, there's several reasons. I've always been attracted to this topic myself, but it's it's interesting. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to go speak at some different Bible prophecy conferences and churches. And as I've done that, I've, I've brought a message several times on uh, the topic of the judgment seat of Christ, or it's called the Bema judgment of Christ, or about heavenly rewards. It's Those are really related together. And I've noticed when I spoke on that topic, I got more response from people than, than any other topic related to the future. Wow. And uh, my wife goes with me a lot to the conferences, and she she told me several times the same thing. And so a while back, she was telling me, she said, you know, you need to re- put that down in a book. Yes. She says, you know, people seem to really respond. That seems to really resonate with people. And so I have to give my wife the credit for it, <laughs> uh, really, for kind of, you know, spurring me on to do that. And so, you know, I took that message. It's, a you know, like a 45-minute sermon, and really expanded that and just kind of tried to bring together all of what the Bible says, or at least the main things the Bible says about this topic of, you know, us standing before the Lord someday as believers and receiving rewards. Yes. Well, when we talk about the subject of judgment, this can become confusing for even Christians who are familiar with the Bible because we have references to the white throne judgment, the Bema seat, as you mentioned before. We have the final judgment. When you're talking about God's judgment seat in relation to rewards, can you explain all of this? Can you kind of sort this out for people so they understand the framework in which we're discussing it? 
Sure. There's different views about this. You know, some people think there's just one big judgment at the end for everybody. Everybody's going to be there at the one judgment, and God's going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous and so on. That's one view, and people hold that. But the view that I take and many other believers take is that there's a separate judgment for believers during this age, what's called the church age, from the day of Pentecost until when the rapture occurs. The we'll, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and the first order of business when we get to heaven will be this judgment seat of Christ. And again, the, the Greek word is the bema, which a bema was just kind of a, a raised platform where a judge would sit. Uh, we, we believe there's another judgment at the end called the great white throne judgment, which will be for unbelievers. But at this judgment seat of Christ that takes place when we get caught up to heaven to meet the Lord, we believe that that the issue there won't be our sins. In other words, we're not going to be judged for our sins, and the issue is not going to be do we get into heaven or not, because that was really already decided here on earth when we trusted Christ as our Savior. So the issue there at that judgment won't be to judge us for our sins as believers, because, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it will be to review our life and evaluate our life as a believer, our service to the Lord, what we did with the the opportunities, the, the gifts, the abilities, uh, the talents, and the time that God gave to us will be evaluated at that time, and then we'll be given either reward or lack of reward based on the degree of our faithfulness uh, to the Lord uh, once we became a Christian. Yes, that's an important distinction that you've made there. It's not a matter of rewarding us for our good works that save us, because as you mentioned, Christ did that work on our behalf. But what is the purpose of rewarding us? Because I've heard some Christians say in the context of various Bible studies, well, the whole concept of me getting a reward seems wrong because then my motives will be terrible. I'll be doing good things on earth in order to feed my pride so I can get more rewards. I mean, how do you how do you sort through that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, you know, a lot of people do kind of have a reaction against rewards because they'll say it seems kind of mercenary and you're just kind of doing it to get the reward. But I always have to pause and and remind people that the whole idea of rewards is God's idea. Amen. This isn't something we thought up. You know, this is God's idea. God's the one who tells us in the Bible that he gives rewards. And it even tells us in the Bible that we're to work for rewards. Um, You know, Moses, it said that he, you know, forsook the riches of Egypt. He said he did it because he was looking to the reward. I mean, even Jesus, you know, he despised the shame on the cross. He was looking for the joy, you know, that was set before him. Uh, Paul said, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, you know, I press on, forgetting those things that are behind, I, I press on towards the prize at the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, Paul said that he was looking for the crown of righteousness that God was going to give to him. So the idea of, of working for rewards is not an unbiblical idea. Now, I don't think that's the only reason we serve the Lord. That's a reason. You know, we, we primarily serve the Lord as believers to please Him, uh, to serve other people. I'm here on earth, but but I think it's part of of, of a motivation uh, that we have uh, in serving the Lord. But ultimately, what we really desire is what's underneath the reward, and that is the reward itself will be a sign or a symbol of the fact that we've pleased God, hmm. uh, that God has approved what we've done. And so the ultimate reason we want to get a reward is because we know that that reward is a sign that we've pleased Christ. Yes. And so I think that's the ultimate reason that we desire the reward, but but it's not wrong to, to serve God, to, to desire rewards. Again, he tells us in the Bible to do that. Well, he does. And you also say in the book, when you're talking about the rewards that will be doled out, you talk about praise and you also talk about position. So what is the difference between those two things? 
Yeah, there's a beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. It's one of the best passages really on this topic. It says, don't go on judging before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness. He'll expose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. And I love that passage because it says each man, it's, a, uh, it's in the singular in Greek, every believer's praise will come from God. Mm. So I think that God will find something in the life of every believer to praise. And we all like to get praise. We like to be praised from our parents or from a teacher or someone. And, and just to think about that for a moment, that, you know, the Lord of the ages, you know, the shepherd of the stars is going to find something in my life to praise. You know, we think about praising God, and certainly that's the ultimate praise, but he's going to praise us. And so we'll receive some type of, of honor and accolades from God and praise from him. But another aspect of our rewards you mentioned is positions. In uh, passages like Luke chapter 19, um, it talks about a, the Lord Jesus coming back someday and calling people to account that he's left with um, talents and with minas and, and different things there to invest for him. And when he comes back, he says that some will rule over five cities and some will rule over ten cities. So one of these days when the Lord comes uh, back to this earth, there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth. Hmm. And I think that how we live now is going to affect our positions of ruling and reigning with Christ during that time, but also, I think, on into the eternal state. And so someone has made the comment one time that I really liked. They said, you know, this is training time for reigning time. Oh, I like that. And so, you know, how we live now, and this is really the most sobering thing and really kind of the overarching theme of the book I've written, is that how, how you and I live today is going to affect our life for all of eternity. You know, it, it's faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone in Him that determines where we will spend eternity. But after we become a believer, then it's our works for Christ that determine how we will spend eternity. Yeah. And we're going to ju- we're going to judge the angels. The Bible says in First Corinthians chapter six. Now, I don't think that means we're going to judge the angels that they're going to do things wrong, but we'll be over them in positions of authority. So I think it's hard for us to grasp now, but we have to at least get the idea that what I'm doing now with the opportunities and the gifts and and the time that God is giving me is going to dramatically affect my life for all of eternity. And that should be very motivating and incentivizing for us to be faithful in our our service for Christ. Amen. Well, Mark Hitchcock is my guest. His book is Heavenly Rewards, Living with Eternity Insight. We'll come right back to the conversation on Janet Meffer today after this. Why are three teenage girls walking 132 miles? I have a heart for the unborn because God does. In his word, he tells us that we are all image bearers. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The Ministry of Preborn introduces moms to their baby in the womb through ultrasound by letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby eight out of ten times she'll choose life. Our goal is to raise $1,000 for every mile. Will you help us rescue babies? Preborn invites you to sponsor Savannah, Phoenix, and Emily as they walk 132 miles for the unborn. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies' lives. And during this month of May, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, saving twice as many babies. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Be sure to mention you heard about the Walk for the Unborn on Janet Meffer today. 
Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. It's great to be with you and great to have with me Mark Hitchcock, senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, and author of the book Heavenly Rewards, Living with Eternity in Sight. Mark, when you were talking about what is to come, I was thinking about Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How much do we look at that particular verse and say, well, whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to do. I shouldn't really strive because God's already prepared those works and I, I can just relax into them. I, I mean, how do you interpret Ephesians 2.10 in light of what we've been talking about regarding heavenly rewards? Yeah, that's a good question. My, my view is in, in Ephesians 2.10, where it says, you know, we're to walk in these works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, that that's really the last half of the book of Ephesians. Uh, because he, he mentions that in chapter 2, verse 10, and really the last half of the book of Ephesians is a very practical book about how we walk. In fact, the word walk is used several times there. And so I think the latter half of that book is giving us the kinds of activities and the things that God wants us to walk in, which you know talks there about spiritual gifts in chapter 4. It talks about our marriage and our family life in chapter 6. It talks about spiritual warfare later on in chapter 6. So I think the good works that God's prepared beforehand, that we walk in them, are are laid out there for us in the last half of the book of Ephesians. And it's basically telling us a lot of the essentials of the Christian life that we're to live out. That's excellent. I think that's a really important thing for people to get. Now, I want to go, you had mentioned 1 Corinthians 4, 5, which is a great verse to wind into the discussion. But we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and there are three verses here, verses 12 through 15, that I want to read for people in case they don't have their Bibles right in front of them. And I want to talk about these with you, Mark, to see if we can get a little bit more insight. It says this, now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. There have been a lot of different interpretations of that passage, Mark. How do you interpret that passage? Well, he says clearly in the the preceding context, he talks about our lives. He's really talking here in this context about the church at Corinth. Paul came to the church and laid the foundation, and others were building on it. But I think we make an application in this passage to each believer's life, because he goes on to say, each man's work, you know, will, will be brought to light. 
So the foundation here of our lives clearly is Jesus Christ. He says there's no other foundation you can lay other than Jesus. So each one of us, when we're a believer in Christ, that's the foundation. But then we build a life or the superstructure on top of that foundation. And he's saying as you build your life, you can choose different materials, gold, silver, precious stones. Uh, Those are things that are valuable and that last. Or you can choose wood, hay, and straw. Those are things that are temporary and that don't last. And he's saying that someday the Lord's going to come and apply the fire test, if you will, to our lives. He's like the building inspector who's going to come and see how we've built our lives. And I think it's beautiful there when he says he's going to test the quality of each man's work. Mm. It's not necessarily the quantity that God's looking for, but he's looking for the, the, the quality of it. So someday when we stand before the Lord... God is going to see if we've built our life with things that are lasting and things that are valuable, or if we built it with things that are just temporal and that pass away. Right. And when he says that if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he'll be saved through the fire, that's a wonderful verse for the idea of eternal security, that even though our, some of our works may be burned up, we ourselves will be saved. In other words, it's the works that get burned up, not the believer of themselves. And so it's a great passage for us to think about, you know, what am I building my life with? Right. Building my life with things that are just kind of easy to throw up and, and um, you know, they're not valuable, they're not lasting. Or am I really building my life with those things that will bring a reward uh, from Jesus Christ? That is really good. So how do I know if I'm building my works on the right foundation? I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus Christ and I am in Christ by faith in him. How do I know, though, that what I am doing in my life is worthy of a reward or not? How do you even determine that? Well, I think, you know, one is is to look at what we're doing, what's the focus of our lives. But another thing that's probably the most searching of all is what is my motive in doing it? Yes. Uh, we can do a right thing for a wrong reason. And that's something that convicts me a lot. You know, being a pastor, you know, people will say good things to you about what you're doing. And you have to really guard your motives all the time and make sure that what you're doing is not to get you know, praise from people, but to get praise from God. And that's a very slippery thing for all of us. Um, you know, it says there on down in First Corinthians 4, 5, you know, that, that he's going to bring to light the motives of men's hearts. Yes. But I think if we want to look at what are the things that bring reward, I've actually got a, a chapter in the book that where I look at kind of like uh, the, what, are the, what are the test questions. Right. You know, we're going to stand before the Lord someday, and we're going to give an account, and what are the things that we should be doing that the Bible specifically tells us uh, will bring reward. And I've got, uh, you know, like 14 different things that I've mentioned uh, here in the book that I think are very practical that you can go through and look, hey, am I, you know, am I building with gold, silver, precious stones? And, you know, it's things like how we treat other believers, um, how we use our money, um, how we spend our time, uh, various things like that that I go through. And I show the verses for each of those. And uh, to me, that's a really helpful list for me to go through and think about at different times, because these are the things in the New Testament that are specifically related to rewards that God will give us. Yes. So when you read that list, it's kind of a checklist to go through and say, how am I doing in these various areas? These are the areas that if I'm faithful in them will, and I do them with the right motive, will, will be rewarded. That That is important for people to know about. I really think so. And another thing that you talk about in the book, I think is really important when you're talking about some principles about future rewards, you talk about some of the things that don't determine the degree of reward, like how long you've served or your position, things like that. So what does determine the degree of our reward? I, I think 
for example, about the martyrs. You know, if ultimately, if you give up your life for Jesus Christ because of persecution, blessed are you, obviously. But what? how do you even know the rank of different rewards according to what you do or don't do for those who say, well, I really want to be able to earn God's highest reward because I want to please him? Well, I think what it... What it boils down to, to me, ultimately, is doing the things God's called us to do, doing those things faithfully, and then doing them again with the right motive. Those are the things. But it, a lot of times, I think our idea is, well, I've got to do some great things for God. You know, it's just, you know, uh, you know kind of over-the-top things. There's a great quote I have in the book from Hudson Taylor. He says, you know, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. Oh, that's great. And I think you know, a lot of times we think, well, I've got to do some big thing for God. You know, Billy Graham and you know, these great you know saints and people that do these great things for God, they're going to be the ones rewarded. But, you know, when you look at the Scripture, a, a cup of cold water given to someone in Jesus' name brings reward. Yes. And so we all have, we, we all have differing length of time to serve the Lord. You know, some people don't get saved till really late in life, and they may be listening right now and thinking, well, you know, I've only... I'm 80 years old, and I haven't been living for the Lord. It's not the length of time uh, that we serve. And I've got a whole chapter in there about a parable Jesus gave where the people that worked one hour got paid as the same the people that worked 12 hours. Yes. Uh, You know, God's gracious in giving rewards, and we need to remember that. But it just goes to my heart and my faithfulness in what I do and my motive in what I do. So it doesn't have to be a big thing that I do, but is it something that the Bible sets forth that God is pleased with, and do I do it before Him with a pure heart? And the, the most simple things that we do as believers will bring great rewards. And In fact, in that parable I've alluded to, Jesus he's talking about rewards. He says, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And then he switches it at the end of the parable and says, the first will be the last will be first, and the first will be last. Right. Yes. What he's telling us there, really, in that, is there are going to be a lot of surprises on payday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when payday comes someday, there's going to be a lot of surprises. And I think we're, we're, we're going to be very surprised at, at the rewards that are given uh, to people that maybe we would have no idea about here on earth. I'm sure that's true. What about crowns? It, you, when you look at the Bible, the Bible talks a lot about different heavenly crowns that will be given to, to believers. Uh, when we finally are with him, we get the imperishable crown mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the crown of righteousness mentioned in 2 Timothy 4, 8, the crown of life. And then we also know that we will cast our crowns before the Lord. So how do we wind the subject of crowns into the whole subject of heavenly rewards? Yeah, that's a, it's a fascinating topic, you know, when you think about that, because there, there's five of these crowns that are mentioned in the New Testament that are given, I believe, as rewards. Um, again, what that exactly means, you know, he talks about it's an incorruptible crown. Back in that day when they would win a, in the games, you would get a, a, a small victor's crown. It was made out of parsley or oak leaves or something that was perishable. And, of course, he says, we'll get this imperishable crown. Uh, what that means exactly, again, you know, we don't know. it. You know, the whole topic of heavenly rewards is kind of like just the topic of heaven in general. Uh, there's a lot more that we don't know than we know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but we but we know that it's going to be good, and we know that it's something to, to, to strive for in this life, and that any sacrifice we make here will be worth getting those rewards and those crowns. Yeah. And we will cast them at Jesus' feet in Revelation chapter 4, but I don't think that that means that we get the reward and we just give the reward back to Him. I do think the the benefits of that reward will carry on. But the giving of the rewards there is just a symbol of we're giving the glory to him. Because to me, one of the most staggering things about rewards is that 
God comes and saves me for nothing in myself. He gives me the Holy Spirit who empowers me to live for him and do things that please him. And then for all of that, God someday is going to reward me. Yeah. So, you know, it, all, all the credit goes to him. I mean, I wouldn't even be in, laboring in his vineyard if he didn't come and draw me into it. And I have no power in myself to do things that will please God. So he's the one that empowers me to do it. So the whole topic of rewards really in one sense, too, is all of grace. It is. I mean, it, it's all of God's grace, and God receives all the glory. But He's so generous and gracious, He's going to reward me for these things, and He's going to give me the opportunity for all of eternity to reap the benefits of those rewards. And uh, to me, it's a, it's a staggering thought. Well, it really is. It shows what an incredibly loving God we worship. Oh, man, wonderful. And a great book. It's called Heavenly Rewards by Mark Hitchcock. Mark, it was wonderful to talk to you again. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. God bless you. I appreciate your ministry very much. Uh, and I yours. Thanks a lot, Mark Hitchcock. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford Today. Well, it was about seven years ago, I think, that I started becoming concerned about child sex abuse in evangelical churches, and it's been a good and yet depressing development, I think, to see that more and more people are waking up to the problem. But as always, we want to do everything we can to keep our kids from being preyed upon wherever they might go, whether that's in a church or a school or just by logging onto the internet. So we're going to talk about it today with Dr. Beth Robinson. She is a licensed professional counselor and a frequent expert witness in legal proceedings involving sex abuse. And today we'll be talking with her about her new book with Latane Scott called Protecting Your Child from Predators, How to Recognize and respond to sexual danger. Beth, it's wonderful to have you here. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on, Janet. Well, thank you. I'm sure that has to be a difficult thing to be a witness in trials involving sexual abuse. I'm curious how you got involved in that sort of thing, because that's a, that's a really important role that you're playing. Well, it, it was not anything I intended to do. It was definitely God's calling. Um, I actually started out as a public school teacher, and was going to be a school counselor. And one of my placement sites when I was finishing my master's was working with kids who had experienced sexual abuse and trauma. And I found out that uh, God had really gifted me to do that work. And I've been doing it about 27 years now. Goodness, wow. Well, God bless you. That's such an important thing to do. And this is such an important subject. It is good to see it getting more traction. I think more and more people are becoming aware. And on the other hand, as they become more aware, I know a lot of parents probably get a little bit more worried than they would have been. Oh, no, I see it every day in the news. I see it everywhere. How bad would you say is the problem of child predators? Just from the statistics, from the surveys out there, give us a lay of the Well, the lay of the land says that one in four females and one in six males will be sexually abused before they reach the age of 18, and we believe those numbers are very conservative. We believe it is underreported, 
and 90% of the predators will be a member of the family or a close family friend. It will be someone that the family has invited in to have access to the child without knowing it. That's incredible. What makes up the other 10%? Strangers. Yeah, just people off the street type thing? Yeah, okay. Yes. Oh, man, I wondered if that had been perhaps somebody in an authoritarian role, a teacher, a youth group leader, if that would be part of the 10% or if that would be included in the 90. They're considered, they're, they're part of the 90 because yeah. we give them, we trust them with caring for our children. So they're in the 90%. Goodness. Well, we'll talk a little bit about what people don't understand about child sex predators and how they work. I know they work a little differently depending on the venue and depending on the age of the child and that sort of thing. But what are the most important things that you think people need to understand about child sex abuse? Uh, Just things to be aware of. Okay. I think, first of all, it's very important to understand that predators who seek out children are specifically attracted to children and they often now target them through technology. You know, we have to be very aware of what we're posting on social media, the pictures of our children. Lots of times those pictures provide additional information we don't realize, a school name, uh, you know, a school activity where a child can be found, those kind of things when somebody's targeting. But to be honest, most predators come right into the life of the family and engage with all the family members, but then develop a special relationship with one child in the family, which then opens the door for the abuse of that child. Right. Now, what is the breakdown, generally speaking, between male and female predators? Are overwhelmingly male or is it a little, you know, how how does it play out in terms of males versus females in targeting children? Statistically, long term, we have seen it being a majority of males. However, we see the number of females rising as we see a more sexualized culture. And the other thing that people don't think about is children who offend against other children, Mm -hmm. which is about 20% of the offenses that occur. It's another child involved. Goodness. Well, you know, I see a lot of stories, for example, about female teachers uh, going after students. I'm seeing more and more of that really at an alarming level. And that's that's very scary because I think for many people, they, they think a predator has to be male. A female would never do that. I agree with you. And I used to teach in one of my college classes, I would write out scenarios and I would identify it as a male, for instance, doing something with an adolescent. And then I would say, or I would do it with a female and I would say, do you have any problem with this? And they would say, no. And I would say, would you have trouble with a male doing it? And if you would have trouble with, you know, a young, attractive male doing this with your child or be concerned about their safety, you should be equally concerned about a female doing that with your child without supervision. I mean, the key again and again is that parents have to provide intensive, intrusive supervision of their children today. Well, they do. How do you do that? What are some tips for looking for those red flags that will come up? Well, number one red flag is somebody who's trying to get time alone with your child, which could be a coach, an art teacher, a music teacher. And the thing that I say to parents is, You need to randomly drop in to those kind of sessions. You need to be very aware if a coach is spending time with your child after school or a teacher is. And you need to physically go and check where your child is because if people know you're going to do that, if it's a predator, they're not going to target your kid because your kid is much riskier than another kid where parents won't go and check. 
And so again and again, you need to know where your child is, who they're with, and you need to be checking to make sure they're safe. Do these predators have a particular type of child that they prey on, or have you found victims to be across the spectrum? Because I've heard, for instance, they will sometimes go for children who have broken families, for example, where they could, you know, the mom is grateful for the help of the male neighbor who will watch the kid for a few hours. Is that a stereotype, or is that still generally the way it plays out? The the number one risk factor is uh, a divorced family where, the mother has a live-in boyfriend or a stepdad. Mm -hmm. That is a risk factor. But I'm going to say, you know, predators are attracted to different ages of children. People don't believe that there are predators who actually offend against infants and toddlers. And so depending on what their attraction is, they will target different ages of children and find ways to access them either through dating the mom or teaching the Bible class or coaching the Little League team. Oh, my goodness. So so what about daycares, for example? There are many parents who have to put their children in child care, and they say, I do my best to try to check out this particular daycare center or this particular babysitter. How would I know? Would there be any signs ahead of time that that person might be inclined to be a predator? Well, I think you always want to check social media accounts for babysitters, daycares, daycare workers. I think you want to look at the reputation of the daycare. You want to uh, look up online reviews, but in this day and time, to be honest, there should be uh, nanny cams or cameras monitoring your child. Yeah. You should be able to log on and check on your child any time of the day if you're leaving them in a daycare. If, if they don't have the ability for you to be able to check on your child that way, I would say move on down the street, find the next daycare. Yeah. Because you should be able to check on your child. Is there an age range, Beth, that is most likely to have a predator targeting you, you know, 6 to 12 or 12 and up or under 6? These are, you know, thinking of some of these categories is just horrific, but it does go on. Is there a more likely age that your child might be targeted if a predator did target your child? No, no it depends on the predator and what their attraction is. So I would not want parents to believe that their children are not at risk at any of those ages. Wow. Well, now, for the, yeah, I was going to say, for the parent of the smaller child, one of the problems that comes up clearly is you can't talk to that child as easily as you could talk to an older child to warn that child, look for this, if anything like that happens. So how do you advise parents of very small children to protect them, aside from what you've mentioned about, you know, nanny cams at daycare centers, but even at five and six, they're in school now. So what can you do as a parent? By age five, every child should know, and and probably by age four, they can do this too. They should know it's okay to say no to anybody touching them, even like hugging them and things like that without their permission. They should also know the swimming suit rule, which is nobody touches you where your swimming suit goes. And if anybody does touch you there, you are to come tell your parent. You're to say no. You're to run. You're to come tell me. And even if they tell you that they're going to hurt you or hurt me, come tell me. That's excellent. it's my job to keep you safe. And that's really good. And kids need to know that by age four and five. Well, that's the world we're living in. Beth Robinson is with us. We'll come back after this. Protecting Your Child from Predators is her book, and we'll return on Janet Meffer today right after this. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. 
That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Mefford today. Great to have you with us and great to be talking with Dr. Beth Robinson. Protecting Your Child from Predators, How to Recognize and Respond to Sexual Danger is her book with Latane Scott and such an important resource in these days where you never really know if there might be a predator who is targeting your own child. Do you find, Beth, that many parents think it could never happen to my child because I'm not in a situation that puts me at high risk? Is there is there a lot of gullibility, would you say, that's still present among parents or would you say that parents are getting a little bit more wise about all this with the with the news that we've seen in the last several years about the problem of predation? I think parents are getting wiser. The thing that probably trips up church to families is there tends to be this belief that if there was going to be a sexual predator, they wouldn't come to church or they wouldn't be involved in my church family. Mm. And that's just not true. The research says clearly that they are at the same rate they are outside the church. And in fact, church activities sometimes are targeted by predators because they know that when we are with church family, we tend to be more trusting than we are when we're not. Exactly. So. Right. Right. I mean, if, if, if somebody was trying to find a place where you would find the most trust, you probably would go to a church. So, I mean, this is probably why we're seeing as many incidents as we are with arrests of church volunteers and pastors and all the rest. I mean, it's happening all the time. Yes, ma'am, it is. And, it, and a lot of it is because we don't believe somebody who's in church could actually target our children. And it's been several years ago, I read an article where a predator was talking about churches, and he called it the last great playground for predators because we tend to be so trusting and naive in churches. Oh, wow. 
That's saying something. Well, you talk about church safety programs. What do you advise congregations to do to guard against the possibility of a predator accessing a child? Uh, What are some of the smart things you can do with the safety program? I think number one is running criminal background checks. Just running criminal background checks. It won't catch every predator, but it sends a message to predators that you're serious about this and they'll move on down the street. Hmm. The second thing is you need to be training all your volunteers. You need two volunteers at all time or even paid ministry staff. There should always be two of them present anytime you're dealing with children and adolescents. You want windows in your doors for your Bible classes. You just have to think differently about access to children in church. And there are some great programs developed, uh, child safety programs, that churches can adopt. And I strongly encourage that. And, in fact, the church I'm attending now, uh, I chose specifically because I had foster kids in my family, and I chose it because of the child safety program. That's excellent. It's really important to have that. What about sleepaway camp? I, I've talked to many parents who say, I, I don't think I would send my child to camp in this day and age because you don't know who's volunteering or who's going to be there. I mean, and I'm sure this is a problem for Christian camps because they want parents to think that their children are going to be perfectly safe when they go. I mean, how big of a problem is the camp? And, and what about camps being able to keep children safe? Well, most camps in this day and age are running background checks, and again, it's the same kind of thing I said with the daycare. You want to check references. I mean, you want to check reviews. You want to talk to people who have sent their kids. And for parents, if your kid's old enough to go to church camp, there's a lot that you can do in talking to them about personal safety so they know. And you also want to know that at any point in time during the week at church camp, your child has permission to call you Good. and reach out. I mean, a lot of church camps don't want them to have their technology, but you need to know your child can call you. Yes, that's smart. Now, when you were talking about these different categories of abuse in terms of age ranges, you have children under six who have been abused. You gave some tips on what parents can do, let your children know ages four, even that young, that it's okay to say no to being touched, the swimsuit world, those sorts of things. What about when the children get older, when they move into the, you know, the adolescent years, for example, what, what should moms and dads be telling their kids to help protect them? Well, I think, first of all, it's not what we're telling them. It's the kind of conversation we're having with them. So once they're teenagers, they need to know that they can come talk to us and they're not going to get lectured and they're not going to get judged, that we're going to hear them and we're going to try to give them godly wisdom in small doses. And they also need to know what healthy relationships are. A whole lot of what gets our teens in trouble is not understanding what a healthy relationship is. They need to recognize personal boundaries. How do they know if somebody is violating a personal boundary, whether that's an emotional boundary or a sexual boundary? And again, they always have the right to say no. That's that's something we're teaching them from, you know, age two or three all the way up. We want to teach them to be aware of where they're hanging out. Who are their friends? What's going on around them? They may be there and not be aware that some other things are happening around them that could be dangerous. And if my kids find themselves in a situation where they don't feel safe or it's dangerous, my rule is I'll come get you, no questions asked. Yeah, that's important. You can call anytime. 
I'm coming to get you. No questions asked. We'll sort it out later. Well, and so do you do you advise tips for teens? Yeah. Now, do you advise parents? For example, I know one of the things predators are said to do from time to time is to threaten the child. If you tell, I'll hurt your mom. I'll hurt your dad. Is it advisable to tell children, regardless if anybody ever says that to you? You absolutely tell me. Yes, and that's a conversation again that starts about age four. Three or four, where you say, if somebody threatens to hurt you or says they're going to hurt me, the first thing you need to do is come tell me. You know, I will keep you safe, and I don't care what they say. We will figure out how to keep you safe. That's good. Well, And when you mention boundaries, talking to teenagers in particular about boundaries, lines that should not be crossed when adults are doing certain things, what are those boundaries? What do you tell your children if this man does X, you know, get out of there? What are those boundaries that they should be looking for? One of the boundaries that we often don't think about is if adults start confiding in you their personal problems, get out of there. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not appropriate for an adult to be telling you about marital problems or their personal problems. That crosses a boundary. It crosses a boundary any time that your intuition says this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I really want to teach my kids to trust that. And as adults, we need to trust that. Sometimes if something just doesn't feel right, We need to recognize that God gifted us with the ability to process a whole lot more information at the unconscious level than we do at the conscious level, and we need to pay attention to that instinct that says, this is not safe. Well, I agree. Beth, I have a question for you, because this just pops into my mind when you're talking about predators, you know, who are seeking children out or attracted to children and this sort of thing. One of the big things in the news right now are these drag queen story hours. And there was there were some images that were online not too long ago about some of these drag queens out in Oregon who were sprawled on the floor of the library and little kids were draping themselves over the drag queen. And I thought, you know, if that were a teacher in a public school, people would be screaming and yelling, this is inappropriate. You shouldn't have kids doing this sort of thing. And yet, it's weird. How do you see that whole development and even some of the stuff that's going on online where more people are admitting they have attraction to children and it's just a sexual orientation? What do you think of that whole problem in our society right now? I, I don't want to see kids draping themselves over adults in any situation. Right. Drag queens in the library or in school. That's not appropriate. It's very risky for our children. And I'm also going to say children were not created to have sex with adults. God created sex to be between a married couple. And when we want to advocate that it's just a sexual preference, we're ignoring childhood development, and we're also ignoring a child or an adolescent's ability to consent. They do not have that ability. True. True. Yeah, that's a really good point. And as to the technology question, uh, certainly there are a lot of portals where predators can get into the heads of kids showing up in chat rooms and all of these sorts of things. What sorts of boundaries should parents put in place to avoid that? And what sorts of discussions should they have with kids about technology and keeping themselves safe? Well, I think with the sophistication of technology today, that parents have to have some monitoring system on their kids' phones. I mean, I can't keep up with all the technology. There has to be some sort of system where you're monitoring what goes on. You know, Apple phones make it real easily easy with a shared family plan where you can turn things on and off on your kids' phones. Um, and there are lots of monitoring software that allows you to do that. Um, our kids do not have the wisdom and sophistication 
to be able to make judgments about the kinds of things that can be accessed through technology. That's you right. know, technology opens the door to all kinds of strangers that we would not invite into our home. And so, again, I, I always talk about intrusive supervision. Parents need to be intrusive. They need to know what the apps are, the music is, everything. They need okay. to be taking time to go through their kids' technology. Yes. If, and that technology also needs to go to bed at night. I love that. It has a bedtime, too. <laughs> Very good. Well, the name of the book is Protecting Your Child from Predators. Dr. Beth Robinson with us. And so glad you were here. Beth, thank you so much for your wisdom. It was wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Janet. I enjoyed it. Thanks oh, so much good. For having me. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Protecting your child from predators. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.